as I was thinking through the, the sharing this morning from Kosovo and all the sharing that's happened this summer from all the missions teams that went out, it's just such a blessing to see the church rising up to share the gospel. It's an amazing thing to see how many lives have been touched just through the ministry of Village Bible, all the way from in our local community and, and um, with VBS to all of our mission teams. And, and I was thinking about it because this morning we're going to talk about truth a little bit. And the fact that we send mission teams out, the fact that we have a message to share implies that we believe that there is truth, doesn't it? If, if we don't believe there's truth, if we don't believe there's one way to Christ, then why go to Kosovo? Then why go to Mexico? Why go to, to Kazakhstan and all these other places people have gone? It's because we believe that Jesus was, was correct, that he was absolutely true when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But we are at a crisis of belief in the church in America as there's different segments that are trying to pervert that truth and to twist that truth and to change that truth. And if we don't stand against it, we are headed for disaster. I was thinking that, about that a little bit on our vacation. We were up at um, Astoria, um, right between Oregon and Washington, and the mouth of the Columbia River, and there's a, a long bridge that goes over the river there, right there, 4.3 miles. And so we went across it and came back, just to say we did. And we're on our way back and, and uh, along the bridge, and there's this long, flat stretch along the bridge, and there's about 30-mile-an-hour crosswinds. And we look to our right, and just sailing along next to us, we weren't going that fast, just, just, just basically coasting next to us is a seagull. Just off the bridge, just in the protection of the bridge, interestingly enough. Never flapping, coasting the whole way. And we drive a little further, there's another one. We drive a little further, there's another one. And we probably saw 20 of these seagulls. We were on a little seagull highway there. We didn't see the bird signs, but it must have been there. And they knew where to go. And, and even in the crosswinds, they were protected and able to stay on course. So we drive up a little bit further, and we look in the road. And there was a, um, it's, it's where the bridge changes and goes up, and so there was a, a difference there. We noticed the birds were flying in different places. And we start looking at the road, and we probably came across ten dead birds. Because as they got out of that jet stream, sorry for the animal lovers, they do die. As we, as we got... <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Some of I am not an animal hater, believe me. And we're, we're coming along, and as soon as they got out of that pathway, as soon as they got out of the truth, the wind blew them into oncoming traffic. And they were hitting windshields, and they were hitting trucks, and there were dead birds all over the place. And, and that's sad, we don't want to see that happen, but think in terms of truth. Think in terms of if we're on a path of truth, and as soon as we stray from that path, we are at risk of the winds of this world and the philosophies of this world to get smashed into head, head on by whatever philosophy the winds will take us into. And that is not God's plan for His church. And my prayer for the church is not to see bodies strewn about that have lost their faith but that we are building a church that is based on the truth of God's Word, that knows God's Word, that will not stray into the winds of whatever happens. That was the situation that Paul is dealing with at Ephesus as well. As he talks with Timothy, some have come along and have strayed from the truth, 
And now he is working to guard the, the truth, to guard the church, and to instruct Timothy how to do this. We saw last week, as, as Pastor Andrew shared about the church and what the church was meant to be, and God's intention for the tr- church is that it is a pillar and buttress of the truth. It stands for the truth visibly and in strength. And then we come to this section today where the first word is but. Or in some of your translations, now or however. And Paul gives us a contrast. This is what the church is to stand for. This is what you might have to face and deal with. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be looking at just five verses this morning. But it's where Paul now comes back to the false teachers that he talked about in chapter 1. When he talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander and that they've rejected the truth, made a shipwreck of their faith, he's handed them over to Satan because they were teaching incorrect doctrine and false doctrine. And they were leading people astray. And in the middle of that, he, he, he took a break and talked about what the church should be and leadership in the church and roles in the church and worship in the church and what the church should stand for. And now in chapter 4, he comes back to one of his intentions of the book, let's deal with truth. Let's deal with falsehood. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through five. I'd like to read all five verses and then we'll dig into it. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Lord God, as we dig into this passage of such an important issue of a church standing for truth, of each of us being able to withstand falsehood, I pray that you would use this text and the text to follow in First and Second Timothy to challenge us to know what we believe, to challenge us that being entrusted with the gospel means to know the gospel and to know truth and to be able to defend it. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we dig into that first verse and and after this wonderful hymn of the faith and hymn of what Christ has done and this admonition that the church is to be a, a pillar of truth, we start with, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. Great. I can imagine Timothy reading this. Thanks, Paul. That is such an encouraging thing to hear. I'm going to fail. Some are going to walk away. But think about this. Think about why Paul starts with this. And the first point there is, if we're going to stand against false teaching, if we're going to stand strong, don't be surprised. Some will leave the faith and follow lies. Don't be surprised. Some will leave the faith and follow lies. Troubling things are going to happen. And Paul is using this to encourage Timothy. You might say, well, that's discouraging. But but listen to what he says. Now the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, expressly says, and the idea there is something that is clear, something that is absolutely crystal clear uh, that some will fall away from the church. So this is a divine prophecy 
that some will walk away. You know, with kids, you have to make things expressly clear. Absolutely clear. And this is what Paul is doing for Timothy. He's saying, don't forget, the Holy Spirit said some would walk away. And and the first thing that that helps us do is to not become discouraged. Because if I know that God already knew this was going to happen, and that God said this would happen, that means God is in control. That means God has this situation handled. God knows. And so that helps me keep fighting. That helps me keep from saying, man, when, when people walk away, it is all my fault. Oh man, if I had just used one different sentence last Sunday, they wouldn't have fallen away from the truth. It keeps us from doing that because we know that we are in a spiritual battle and some will walk away from the truth. That is very encouraging in ministry. Over the years, the most difficult part of being a pastor has been when people that I have invested in and loved and cared for and discipled when they choose to walk away from the faith. There is nothing harder. There is nothing that I have lost sleep over more or shed more tears over than people walking away from the faith. And it is so easy to get discouraged and say, well, then I quit. I'm done. I am not, if I'm not even able to keep people in the faith, then what am I doing as a pastor? And this is an encouragement to Timothy because I bet he was feeling the same thing. He goes to Ephesus, elders are teaching falsehood, people are walking away from the faith, and he's like, I am not even called to be a minister. But the challenge there is a me focus versus a God focus. If it's a me focus, then I'm responsible to keep every person on track with the truth. I'm responsible to make sure every one of you walk with God. I'll be calling you this week and checking the video cameras. No, no, it's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, I'm called to be faithful to the truth, to guard the truth, and to faithfully preach God's Word. But this would be encouraging to Timothy. Some are going to walk away, but I know. Don't give up. Don't give up. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. And that phrase for in later times represented that that they believed Christ could return at any time. The imminency of Christ's return. And we believe the same thing. Christ could return right now. He could return during lunch. Rune Taco Bell. He, he He could come back at any time. And they believe that. We believe that. Because that is the age that we live in. When we, whenever you see words like in later times, it is referring to the, the time between the ascension of Christ when he returned to heaven and when he comes back at the rapture. That's the later times. And yes, right now it's about 2,000 years and we don't know when that will be, but we know Christ could return at any time. And so as Timothy saw people walking away from the truth, it was a reminder that we're in later times, that Christ could come back at any time. In 1 John 2.18, John wrote, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And we see the same idea. It's the end times. We're close to the end. In the grand scheme, we are close to the end. And so Satan's going to ramp up his attacks. Just like when you corner an animal, they fight harder. When we come closer to the end, Satan's going to fight harder. And he is going to work to deceive God's church. 
And so these words serve to help us not be surprised, to help us not lose heart, but continue to fight the good fight even when we see people walking away. Paul says some will depart from the faith, and he's referring to those that appear to be believers inside the church at Ephesus. Not everyone that professes or says they're a Christian is a believer. Do you know that? Not everyone that says, I'm a Christian is a believer. Somewhere over 80% of people in America would identify themselves as Christian. But that doesn't mean they're all saved. And in this case, Paul is saying some are going to depart from the church. The truth. They are here. They're professing Christians. But they are not really believers. 1 John 2.19, John says the same thing. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. That they, are all, that they all are not of us. And so the challenge here right from the start is, are we true believers? Do we know Christ? The theme for the youth this year is, do I love Jesus? It's more than just saying a prayer. It's more than just getting fire insurance. It is committing to Christ. And giving ourselves to Christ. Repenting and following Him. That is what it means to be a believer. And so Paul starts by saying to Timothy, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. He goes on then to say, say, By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. And so whereas the first point is don't be surprised, some will leave the faith and follow lies, the next point is take the threat seriously by recognizing its source. False teaching is demonic. It is demonic. You know, and there's levels of of ways we disagree with people, right? You know, Joey and I can be talking about what the best fast food place is, and he may say, nothing. (laughs) No fast food, right? <laughs> in and out. And I may say, in and out stinks. No, no, I love in and out. It's an illustration. <laughs> so you think I hate animals and I hate in and out. <laughs> I'm going back on vacation. <laughs> and I may say, no, that's wrong. Taco Bell is clearly the best. Now, now that level of disagreement, does that impinge on our friendship? No is the answer. No, it should not. If some of you are losing friends over fast food choices, let's talk. That's a no. No, we can disagree on that because it's not a matter of faith. It's not a matter of the gospel. Now, if he comes to me and says, you know what? I don't think Jesus was, was God. He just sort of took on God form to save us. Now we have an issue because that's heresy. That compromises the gospel. Okay, and, and so the way that I deal with disagreements depends on the seriousness of the threat, right? Does that make sense? And so if, if the threat to my faith is more serious, I have to deal with this stronger. Look at what Paul's doing. These are men that are they're teaching falsehood. And right from the start, he says, they will depart from the faith by devoting or being committed to, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. And so he escalates the importance of this by saying this is demonic. 
This is an issue that Satan is involved in because Satan wants to take people out of the church. And Satan wants people to fall away from God. And Satan wants to grab their faith and pervert it and steal it and tear it apart. Do you see the level of importance that Paul is now setting to this issue? This isn't Taco Bell versus in and out This is eternal life. And so he treats it that way. And so the next point is take the threat seriously by recognizing its source. False teaching is demonic. Be on guard. And so not only does the first point help us not become discouraged, it challenges us to be ready to counter it. That's the B in under point one. Challenges us to be ready to counter it, which leads into point two. The way we're going to counter it is if we really believe there's a threat. If you don't believe there's a threat, you won't do what it takes to know the truth. Don't take false teaching lightly. There are times when Jesus was gentle, especially with those that were seeking. There were times that he gave guidance in a certain way. But when it came to the Pharisees who were leading people away from the truth and keeping people from eternal life with Christ, he was bold and harsh and direct. It's that important. When we were up in Oregon as well, you get some vacation stories today. We were visiting Bonneville Dam, and it's one of the power sources for the Northwest and one of the major power sources for the Northwest. And we hadn't been there in a while, and, and we go to the gate, and there's a guy there, a guard, that, says, that starts asking all these questions. And he starts opening the doors of our car and searching our car. And we look around, and there's gates with barbed wire and fencing, and we're like, what is going on? They took a threat seriously. What if a terrorist took out the power grid in the Northwest? What would that do to America? Not just the Northwest, but it would cascade to the rest of America. And so there's a serious threat there because this is an important location. And so they did what they needed to 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 protect it. Are we willing to do that same thing for the truth? Are we willing to know truth, to know what a threat is, and to be able to stand against it? Paul describes, the Holy Spirit through Paul describes... The teaching here first is deceitful spirits. False teachers are called deceitful spirits. And the word there is is a fun word. It comes from planos. What word, English word, do we get from planos, do you think? Planet, okay? And, And planet originally meant a wanderer because they would see the planets wander through the sky. And so that's the word that Paul uses here for deceitful spirits, wandering spirits, spirits that don't hold to the truth. And then secondly, the teaching of demons. Satan not only tempts, but he deceives. And the false teachers, whether they thought they were spiritual or not, they were under the influence of the demonic, under the influence of the father of lies. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Just jot that reference down next to this point. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Be sober-minded, alert. Be watchful, be on guard. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom to devour. 
That is the nature of what Paul is telling Timothy. Don't be surprised. It's going to happen. Keep fighting the good fight and be on guard. Be ready to defend. Be ready to resist. By taking the threat seriously is demonic. The other night I was, I was working on an item in my fix-it pile. I don't know if some other dads have a fix-it pile at home. I have this fix-it pile and vacation is a great chance to um, take a few things off of it. And I'm working on this one particular item and all of a sudden I hear yelling out of my boys' room. They're like, Mommy! Daddy! I'm like, what is going on? And, and Susie was, was in the back so she went in there and dealt with it and I'm still working on my thing. And um, the boys were concerned that there was demons in their room. Because they have this remote control car and it just started moving on its own. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're just sitting there and all of a sudden, boom, off the shelf. They're sitting there, they're in bed, lights off, trying to go to sleep, and this car flies off their shelf. Susie goes in, she's like, no, that didn't happen because it's not moving when she's in there. She sets it down on the counter, and as soon as she sets it down, boom, off the shelf. <laughs> and they all come out, they're like, we don't know what's going on. And, and the boy, Susie didn't do that. Um, <laughs> well, I was working on another remote control car. And what I didn't know is it was on the same frequency of one in their room that wouldn't turn off. <laughs> So every time I would try it to get the batteries working, boom, off the shelf. My boys are freaking out because they think demons are in their room. And that is a serious issue. But would we recognize what is truly demonic influence? We look for heads spinning around and people flying up in the air and... and but that's not how Satan works. He works with deception and lies and starting to veer us from the truth slowly and surely. Be on guard. Point number two, take the threat seriously by recognizing its source. False teaching is demonic. Then we get to the next verse. And point number three, if we're to stand against false teaching, we need to test the messenger. Test the messenger the messenger matters. The character of the messenger matters. Look at verse 2. Through, and so this is who Satan is working through, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And you get three different aspects of the messenger here. The first one is the word insincerity. Some of you might have a different word there. What do you have? New American Standard? Hypocrisy. Thank you. And the word there is the Greek word for hypocrisy. It's those people whose lives do not match what they say. And so the first thing it says that Satan uses, what kind of people does Satan use? Hypocrites. Those that have hypocrisy. Those that are fake. People that presented themselves as followers of Christ, as teachers of the truth. In reality, they're tools of the devil. You know, there, there are all kinds of, of things that happen with teachers. I've had a pastor tell me after te- partway through teaching a series, you know, this is a really hard series to teach through because I haven't experienced any of this to be true. Think about that statement for a moment from someone that is teaching God's Word. That is scary stuff. 
Because we're dealing with hypocrisy and do our lives match what we say? Or do we just go on putting on a face and say, I'm real spiritual. Follow me. And so when we look at teaching, we want to say, okay, what's their life like? Are they sincere? Are they true? Moms and dads, this is vital for us. Vital for us, because we're teaching our families. We're teaching our home. There are all kinds of lists. I think I see a new list every couple weeks of white college students walk away from the faith. And almost every list misses the number one reason that I, I experienced in 20 years of youth ministry, and that's hypocrisy of either parents or, or leaders. Because kids, when they see that our lives are different from what we say we believe, they will write off what we believe. And they will say, that is not true. And we are opening the door for the demonic influences of this world to steer them a different way. Now, moms and dads, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. None of you are. None of us are. But it's how we present ourselves. Earlier this week, one of the evenings, I was involved in something, probably a sports show, and, and one of my sons came up to me and did something in fun, and I got angry at him. And I hurt him. Not physically, but just his heart, his spirit. And I had a choice at that point, because I blew it. And I knew I blew it. And I had a choice at that point, do I be the strong father and say, well, you just got to get over it, son, and grow up and be strong. Or do I go to him and say, I blew it. See, that's the difference between hypocrisy and truth. And I went to him and got down on my knees and said, son, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have gotten angry. Will you forgive me? What teaches more? That moment of saying, I blew it, and this is how you handle it, or ignoring it and trying to look all spiritual? Moms and dads, You are teaching with your lives. Are you false teaching by what you live? We take this as as to be on guard for false teaching in the church, but I challenge you to also take this to am I false teaching? D.L. Moody said, A man ought to live so that everybody knows he is a Christian, and most of all, his family ought to know. Think about that. And so Satan uses the insincere, the hypocritical. The next word he uses, the insincerity of liars. People that are loose with the truth, deliberately spreading falsehoods. And so how we live matters, what we say matters. And then finally he says, whose consciences are seared. And Satan uses the seared. When we have strayed so much that now we no longer feel, we no longer are aware that we are even teaching falsehood. The word for seared is cauterazo. What does that sound like? Carterized. And it's the idea of numbing a section and, and burning a section until there is no feeling left, until there is no ability to discern. And that's the word here. It was also used of branding with an iron, which cauterized that portion of skin. And so Satan's brand is on these people because they have allowed themselves to pursue falsehood and pursue falsehood and they have not been diligent. And the more we sin, the more we are hypocrites, the more we will justify it. 
and the more we will think it's okay. And so we've got to be, be aware of that. We, you know, if, if you really want a challenge, ask some friends to tell you how you respond to correction. Because if your response to correction is defensiveness and I've got to prove I'm right and I've got to win, chances are you are being seared and hypocritical. This is serious stuff. Satan uses fake, seared people that are loose with the truth. The good news is, is the Holy Spirit can heal. And the Holy Spirit can unsear. And with repentance, the Holy Spirit comes in and creates a heart of flesh and new skin that is not seared if we will come to him and repent. So verse 2 is about testing the messenger, but also about testing ourselves. Verse 3 is about testing the message. Point number 4 there is test the message. And we get into, okay, what's the content of this heresy? What's the content of the false teaching? Their their arguments of false teachers often sound good. They often have some truth, but they almost always appeal to self. In verse 3, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The, the false teachers here are promoting asceticism, which is the idea of giving up any sort of earthly appetite. No fun, no joy, nothing. And so, and he takes some of the two basic drives and basic appetites we have. One is food. How many of you like to eat? Yeah, I, I like to eat. Big ice cream cones, from those of you that saw the picture. <laughs> We, we enjoy food, okay? And people at the time were saying, no, you need to basically cut out all good food, keep your food to the barest minimum of things that are bland, that don't taste. And then the other thing is you need to not be married. And that's our need for companionship as well as the, the drive for sex. And, and that's really where the church over the years have said, you don't get married so that you don't have relationship with your wife. You don't have relationship with your husband. Because somehow that is viewed as sinful, even though God in Genesis 1 and 2 said, for this reason a man shall leave his his father and mother and will cling to his wife and they will become one flesh. And so here the false teaching is teaching a legalism, an abstaining of things. And and really false teaching usually goes toward one of two ways, either to legalism or to liberty and freedom. And we go too far. Okay, we're going to dictate what you can't do. Or, hey, you can do anything. Don't worry. Forgiveness is cheap. And both of those are false teaching that deny the gospel. And so forbid marriage, which Paul has already affirmed in the qualifications for leadership. Husband of one wife. And somehow the people were teaching that there is a higher degree of holiness to be celibate. It's more spiritual to give up marriage could be from the idea that one of the, the Gnostic, pre-Gnostic ideas was that the body is evil and the spirit is good, so any enjoyment of the flesh would be evil. Maybe because they, they saw there was no marriage in heaven, so hey, let's get a head start on paradise. Keep in mind, though, it's okay to be single. Paul isn't saying that it's wrong to be single. What he's saying is it's wrong to demand everyone be single. If you go through a... a a survey of church history, you'll find the church over and over 
believed that the, two of the church fathers, the extinction of the human race was preferred to the sexual relationship within marriage. It goes on and on. The church has, has kept going down this path of false teaching. The other thing here is the, the require abstinence from foods. Probably Judaizers were trying to hold them to the mosaic clean and unclean foods, but we know that Jesus already spoke against that. We know from the vision to Peter that that was already denounced. And Jesus said, what God has given to eat, eat. Enjoy it. Now, yes, there's limits. In marriage, and the sexual relationship in marriage is to be enjoyed in marriage only, and Satan would love to pervert it and say that it's okay before marriage, and that lust and pornography and, and all that's okay, but that's a, that's a perversion of what God has created. With food, we get into gluttony and, and some of those other things that Scripture says is sin, and so we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. But he says, with thanksgiving, the food that God has received, that created is to be received. At its heart, this teaching, even though it sounds like, oh, what's wrong with not getting married? What's wrong with, with not eating certain foods? At its heart, they were equating that with holiness. That somehow you're more holy if you don't do certain things. And that church is a direct attack on the gospel. It's a direct a- attack saying, Jesus is not enough. His work on the cross is not enough. And that's why this is so serious. The gospel and is not the gospel. Or the gospel, if you don't do these things, is not the gospel. This minimizes the gospel. And so we want to be discerning on the message. Not only the messenger, but the message. And my question this morning, I want to take a couple minutes to do an exercise, is are we able to do that? Are we able to discern? I want to play a couple of clips. And and my goal here is is not to... um, point out certain, um, well, it is to point out certain doctrines we shouldn't follow. <laughs> but my, my goal isn't to tear someone apart in their character, but to, to bring us to a point of discerning and saying we must call false teaching false teaching. Um, Don, can you play clip number one? This is of Joel Osteen. And Joel Osteen is the, the pastor of the largest church in America. Understand that. The largest church in America. People are following this man. And what about Mitt Romney? And, and i got to ask you the question, because it is a question, whether it should be or not in this campaign, is a Mormon a true Christian? Well, in my mind, they are. Mitt Romney has said that he believes in Christ as his Savior, and that's what I believe. So, you know, I'm not the one to judge the the little details of it. So I believe they are. And so, you know, Mitt Romney seems like a man of character and integrity to me. And um, I don't think anything would stop me from voting for him if that's what I felt like. So, so for instance, when people start talking about Joseph Smith, the founder of the church and the Golden Tablets in upstate New York, and uh, and God uh, assumes the shape of a man, do you not get hung up? in in those theological issues? I probably don't get hung up in them because I haven't really studied them or thought about them. And, um, you know, I just try to let God be the judge of that. I I mean, um, I don't know. I I certainly can't say that I agree with everything that I've heard about it. But from what I've heard from Mitt, when he says that Christ is his Savior, to me, that's that's a common bond. What's wrong with what you just heard? 
There, Jesus is an angel. He's not God. He's a different Jesus. He's a created being from another planet. And that makes him a brother Satan. Mm-hmm. They, they say that. His point of, I haven't studied those things. Then don't talk about them. Then don't present yourself. But, but for a pastor to, to say those things, and, and in another clip on it, we don't have time to see, um, Joel Osteen is very much, I don't know if those in India accept go to heaven. They're so sincere that maybe God will let them in. He's asked about atheists. And he goes, you know, I can't judge atheists. Well, actually... The Bible says there is one way to heaven, and that's believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There is no other way. And to teach something else is keeping people from heaven. And that's demonic. Can you play clip three, please, Don? This is Kenneth Copeland, um, one of the heads of the Word of Faith movement, again, followed by thousands and thousands of people who believe they're Christians in America. God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself. I mean a reproduction of himself. And in the Garden of Eden, he did that. He was not a little like God. He was not almost like God. He was not um, subordinate to God even. And Adam is as much like God as you can get. Just the same as Jesus, when he came into the earth, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He wasn't a lot like God. He's God manifested in the flesh. And I want you to know something. Adam in the Garden of Eden was God manifested in the flesh. Now I picked some more obvious ones. Adam is just like Jesus. This is heresy, and this is not the gospel. In fact, people that believe this are not following Christ. Are you aware, are you listening as you hear people teach, as you hear me teach, as you hear Pastor Andrew teach? Are you evaluating it and saying, is that true? I'm going to play one more. I know we're out of time. Um, Four, Don, number four. This is Rob Bell, leader of the Emergent Church Movement. Again, thousands of people follow him. This one's a little more subtle. Well, maybe not. We'll see. Take one hand, place it upon your belly. Take one hand, place it upon your chest. Let's breathe for a moment, shall we? Nice, big, deep breaths. Central to the Christian tradition for thousands of years have been disciplines of meditation, reflection, silence, and breathing. Now, from way back when, our ancestors understood that there's something divine about our breath. Take a moment as you breathe deeply to invite the God who made the universe into your breath. We're going to cut that there. There's more, but we're out of time. It's a little more subtle because he's mixing truth in. Is it okay to meditate on God's Word? Absolutely. Is it okay to, to contemplate and be responsive to God? Is your breath divine? Are you breathing in God? No, those are parts of the New Age philosophy that have worked its way into the emergent church movement. And, and thousands and thousands of people are following this man and following him to hell.
And I wouldn't speak so strongly about it except God speaks strongly about it and says the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. This is demonic teaching. And we need to be aware of it. And I would challenge you, don't listen to anything any of these men say. There may be some other good things. No. The pot is poisoned. Down the road, we've had Robert Schuller's teaching for many years. Let me read a quote. I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to evangelism enterprise than the often crude, uncouth, and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If people aren't aware of our, aware of our faults and, and, or our, our fallen and sinful condition, we will never turn to Christ and there can be no repentance. I don't want this morning to be a bashing session, but I want it to be an awareness session that says, are we on guard for the truth? And are we testing the messenger and testing the message? Because church, if we're entrusted with the gospel, if we're to be about God's purpose, we've got to know the truth. And we've got to be ready to handle the truth. I was sitting in a a car repair place on vacation and the man, I, I share with him I'm a pastor and he goes and starts talking about religion and how he doesn't have time for religion, but he believes in tithing, tithing to yourself, which means he does have religion. He just believes he's God. And, and, and we, we, we have this conversation. Are we ready for those kinds of conversations? And my passion for Village is that we are prepared and we are ready. And that's why for the next few months, we're going to be doing something called the Truth Project. And it's a DVD series from Focus on the Family, marvelously done, that, that deals with a Christian worldview versus a secular worldview. And are you ready to answer these questions? We're on a cave tour at Oregon Caves, and the whole tour is about evolution and how long it takes to, to create these stalactites and stalagmites. Never once mentioned that they have evidence in the last 50 years of, of nine-foot ones being created in 50 years never mentioning a whole lot of other things that are wrong assumptions of a worldview, Truth Project will help us understand those. Help us be prepared to engage a culture and be serious about false teaching. So I challenge you, will you take for for 15 weeks, starting at the end of September, will you take for 15 weeks, one night a week, and join us and be committed to knowing how to refute falsehood and stand for truth? It's that important. Because one of the other reasons people walk away from the faith is we haven't given good answers that are in God's Word. We haven't given good answers for the truth. And the answers are there. That's not the problem. We just haven't talked about them. So I challenge us to stand for the truth. We're not going to deal with point number five. I'll try to put some notes of that on our Facebook page. But the, the idea, the, the point was, thankfully enjoy God's truth and gifts. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. But this morning we celebrate truth. We celebrate the truth of Christ's death on the cross for sinners like us. Because yes, we are fallen and we are in desperate need of Christ.
And Christ, who is God, came and gave His life on the cross in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved so that if we repent and believe on Him, we can spend eternity with Him and we can be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the truth we stand for. And today as we take communion, thank God for that truth. Thank God for His work on the cross, for His saving power. Dear Lord God, our Father, as we come to Your table, I pray that You would help us right here, right now, to deal with anything that may be hypocrisy, that may be teaching a falsehood with our lives. Lord, if there's any sin right now, I pray that we would deal with it in our own hearts. We confess it and be right with You so that we we can come and honor the truth of Your sacrifice of what You have done. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.